hello everybody. Welcome once again to the Fesh Podcast. It is great to have you with us. This week, episode 30, I want to talk about grief. Grief and the soul. Several years ago in, in a class in my, my Master of Divinity graduate program, one of my professors said that grief is something that each of us must willingly, knowingly, consciously enter into. That even though losses take place in our lives and and loved ones are taken from us all too soon, and it is something that we experience, we experience the loss, grief is actually something that you and I have to choose to go into and process. Grief is one of those things that is not fully understood until one actually experiences it for this for themselves, until one actually goes through it. I remember so many years as a as a pastor and as a youth pastor watching and, and trying to comfort my students and their families uh, when they lost people in their lives. And realizing how much later on how much I didn't understand about the loss that they were experiencing because I had yet to experience it myself. The month of February holds two very significant dates and anniversaries for me that make February a particularly difficult month. February 8th, 2006, my dad passed away. And then February 15th, 2014, one of my sisters passed away. The loss of my dad was uh, unfortunately expected. He lived a long life, 81 years, though the last 14 years of his life, he uh, struggled, suffered uh, with a stroke at age 67. And so for the last 14 years, he never fully recovered. And um, initially, he seemed to regain speech and and many uh, uh, other functions, but his life was irrevocably altered. And essentially, from that moment, his body really struggled and continued to get worse over time. I was only 14 at the time when my dad had his stroke, and it was something I couldn't process at the age of of 14 as a teenager. It wasn't something that I could really understand fully how much it was going to impact me. But as a friend of mine, very aptly and um, wisely stated after I was, after I lost my dad and and was grieving, she said, "It, it seems as if you are almost at the age of 14, you began to grieve the inevitable, grieve the, the future death of your father. And when he did pass, I remember initially thinking very, very naively. I, it was a conscious thought in my head uh, after, after the first day or two, after the initial shock, I remember thinking, I know what to do. I, I've 
been in ministry for many years. I've read all the books on emotions and growth and, and how to help people and how to process through difficult things. I know what to do. I've, I've helped others through this. How little did I understand the depths of grief. I, I love what C.S. Lewis wrote in his uh, really powerful book, A Grief Observed. It was a, a book that he wrote after his wife passed away. And, and um, there was a movie about C.S. Lewis done uh, by Anthony Hopkins and Deborah Weiner. She played the life of his wife and Anthony Hopkins played the life of C.S. Lewis. It was a really good movie, very sad, called Shadowlands, but essentially it, it chronicled their relationship and her, her struggle with illness and then her passing away. And it, it marked Lewis's life. He, though he married later in life and essentially was a bachelor most of his life, he really uh, this woman became his best friend, his soulmate, and he, the love was so very powerful, so very deep. And he wrote this book afterward, and it was a book that I read a few years after my dad and, and a little bit after my sister passed. And it was a very helpful way, a cathartic way of processing through, helping to try to process through the grief. He says this, he says, I thought I could describe a state, make a map of sorrow. Sorrow, however, turns out to be not a state, but a process. And I would say, I would add to that and say that it is, it is a never ending process. What is interesting that after the, the loss of my dad, and especially for the first couple of years, it was it was a very difficult time of processing through that grief for a lot of reasons, but a lot of uh, stuff that had not been resolved uh, caused the grief to become chronic for a couple of years. And it took uh, counseling and grief counseling and, and um, you know, people coming out of the woodwork to to help and uh, to help me process through that grief. And when my sister passed, my sister passed and it was a, a sudden passing. It was not expected. It was, it was a different type of shock. Grief is always, there's always shock involved, but it was a different type of shock. It was obviously un, unprepared, unplanned, and a different set of emotions and a different set of, of feelings and a different relationship, of course. My sister, 15 years older than I was uh, when I was 15, she was 15 when I was born, she had a, a really important role in my, in my and my other siblings' lives as she was a nurturer. She loved kids. She had kids of her own and grand, grandkids when she passed. But she was very important in my my early years. She spent a, a lot of time taking care of us. I'm sure changing our diapers and and um, being a nurturer and was that connection was very present. 
even when I didn't fully realize it and even when we didn't stay in touch as much as I would have liked. It was a different set of grief. It was a different set of loss. And it was, it felt like a, a blow as if somebody had knocked me to the ground and was completely disoriented by, by the whole experience. The first loss was, was very, very deep with my dad and it went deep but I in a sense was preparing for it not just for 14 years but even the last few months as his health rapidly deteriorated but my sister it was as if somebody had just run me over with a car and I I didn't know how to get back up And though I had been through one grief and one set of loss, and I even had books that had helped me through, and, and I you know, may essentially did the right things, meaning I knew the things to do to ensure that I was actually grieving. Nobody likes pain. Nobody likes pain, least of all me. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty big wimp when it comes to physical pain and other, I mean, I can handle some pain, but even my own physical pain at times will make me nauseous to the point of, of passing out. I, I have a very low tolerance and, and high sensitivity toward that type of thing. And so I, everybody runs from pain, but I think I, that's how I, I, I just suddenly turn into a a sprinter and I'm way ahead of everybody else. I knew that, especially after the loss of my sister, I knew the things to do. I knew that it was something that I had to go through, that I had to allow myself to, to go through. I had to cry. I had to, um, to talk about her, to journal about her, to uh, attempt to, um, when we went up to, uh, she passed away in Oregon. And when, when, when we went up to visit uh, right after she passed to see her body and to do a, a kind of memorial for her, I made myself stay in the room where her body was laying. I couldn't leave. I, I found myself wanting to be there protecting her, wanting to be at, in there at every moment, not wanting to be, be absent for one second. It, it was as if I was trying to hold on to her or that moment. As painful as it was, I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave. And, and as the process unfolded, and as the days went by, it was it was challenging. I, I remember going with my mom to the, must have been the city hall or, or county office to, to get a death certificate for her, to go to the funeral home where they cremated her. As much and as painful as it was, I didn't 
want to not be a part of every moment. It, in that way, I felt like I was still close to her and feel still processing her. And I remember getting on the plane and holding her ashes. I wanted to keep them safe. I wanted to keep her safe. And it was a challenge day after day after day after day for several, several months and, and even into the next year. Unfortunately, within a, a, almost a year and a half, one of my brothers passed away July 15th, 2015, a whole different set of grief and loss, very, very different with a brother who had, there had been so many challenges with him and a different set of trying to reconcile what is no more. Grief and loss and death are strange things, hard things for us to comprehend. It is amazing to me how God creates these just beautiful bodies of ours. Our, our lives, our, our, as, as we know, and as I've talked about before in these podcasts, that our lives are interconnected. We are emotion, body, mind, soul, spirit. And I love how, and I've shared this before, how Dallas Willard really talks about the soul being really the integration of it all. And, and, and our soul kind of encapsulates all of that. And our soul is what we believe really lives on after us. I love challenging, well, not challenging, but, you know, asking this question of atheists and people who don't believe that there is life after death. And I, it, it, I, this one very, I mean, I know just a, a few scientific facts, and this is one of them that I have learned, that matter cannot be either created or destroyed. Matter is, is something that's so incredible, which also flies in the face of you know, they're not being a creator God. How, how does matter come into existence? Well, matter can't be created or destroyed. So the life essence that is in each of us, the thing that makes us alive, where does it go after we die, after our heart stops and our brain waves stop? Because it, it, that thing that has given us life is matter. And so where does it go? Our lives are such incredibly intricate, beautiful things. And yet, in a very, very, very just smallest of things can end our lives. The smallest of, of changes to our body's chemistry. In the brief moment, our life is gone. Unexpectedly. The briefest change 
in the way our body ticks, it doesn't take much for our lives to be over. I, that is, that is the um, it, not quite paradox, but that is the just unique way we are created and, and we are alive. We are so intricately created in the image of God and God loves us and holds us as valuable and of such precious worth. And yet it doesn't take much to take that life and end it. And yet that soul, that essence of us that makes us who we are does not stop, does not end there. It continues beyond. And that, when we think of, of the, the dark moments of life and when we think of the moments of loss and, and the, the loved ones that we have lost, it really is those things, that, that, that idea that, that God is real, that eternity is real, and that our lives don't really end when our bodies cease to exist. That we continue on. In processing through my dad's loss, one of the things that I, I participated in a grief group that was um, available to me as a graduate student and um, I, I didn't particularly enjoy all parts of it. I was, I was, um, I was thinking, oh, this is not going to help. I don't, you know, I'll do it because my counselors asked me to do it, but I don't, I don't see what this is going to do. One of the activities was to write a letter, um, but to write a letter as if your loved one who had passed was talking to you through that letter. And I thought, oh my goodness, I really don't believe in this. Uh, um, especially at that time, I don't think, you know, my dad can see me and he's, he's up in heaven having a good time. He's not, he's not thinking about me, worried about me. Um, and, at, you know, you, even at that time, not believing that, that, um, that our loved ones in eternity can see what we're doing down here. Um, I don't know my thoughts on that at this point in my life. Um, I don't know whether they can or they can't. I, I think that is a, something that I will leave for other smarter people. But at that time, even not believing that fully, I did it because, you know, I had to, everybody else was doing it. And so I, as I begin to write, as if my dad was writing to me. What would my dad say to me if he could see me? What would he want me to know? How would, how would he want me to, to process his loss? And as I begin to write, I begin to cry. Because what came out wasn't necessarily from my dad. It wasn't as if my dad was talking to me, but I was imagining what he would say. 
And one of the things that was so true to me then as it is now is that my dad, who was an incredibly unselfish, self-sacrificing, amazing guy, is that at if he could see what I was going through, he would be sad because he would not have wanted me to still be sad over him. He would not want me to still be struggling. He would not want me to, to be dealing with chronic grief or to be depressed. I know that and I knew that for sure. And it was as if knowing that had such a healing effect on me. Again, I, I didn't believe my dad was speaking to me, but knowing him, I knew he would not want me to be unhappy. He would not want me to be sad. This was a guy who, after he had his stroke in the hospital, days later, I had had this, at the time, I had somehow developed this um, weird rash on my leg that probably I got bit from something. We were hiking in the woods and, and it wouldn't go away. And it was very, very painful. Um, but it was nothing like a stroke. I mean, come on. And I didn't mention it when I went to the hospital and I, I went to, to visit him. I didn't bring it up, but he, he looks at me and he says, how is your how is your leg? How is your rash doing? And I'm thinking, you're here lying in the bed with tubes coming out of you and you're asking me about my rash. But that was the kind of guy my dad was. And I knew as I wrote that letter that that is what he would want for me. And that sense of though it, it just, it it helped me to move through, kind of really, really process through and close out that, that lingering sense of grief, knowing that my dad was in a better place, that he loved me, that I would see him again. And that despite how much I missed him, that there was not an end. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about he's battling the, the Gnostic idea that there's no resurrection from the dead, this very Gnostic idea that, that matter was evil. So our bodies were bad and evil, and the only thing that was good was our soul. And, and a not, it's a Greek, it was a Greek philosophical belief that still exists, but it's not a biblical idea and certainly not a Hebrew idea. You, you don't see that in the Old Testament. Paul is battling that and he talks about it. It's this one verse that that continues to resonate deeply with me. And he says, you know, if if we if there is no resurrection from the dead and Christ is not raised and we are of all people more than anybody else, we are without hope. But we have hope. Christ was resurrected. There will be a resurrection. There is an eternity. Life continues. And I, I love uh, N.T. Wright in his book, Surprised by Hope. He, he describes heaven almost as if it's this 
continuation of life on earth. And I, I know this, you know, gets us into theology and theology of the afterlife, which there's actually not a whole lot on in the Bible. It's less than people realize. But he, this, this understanding that it's as if we just kind of, you know, we're separated from the afterlife, we're separated from eternity by this very thin veil, this very thin, almost atmospheric area. And we just need to just, you know, in eternity, we step through that and the life continues on. But in eternity, in eternity with God, and Jesus, of course, tells us this, that he has come to give us life and life everlasting, as it says in, in John chapter 10. Grief is one of the most painful things, if not the most painful things that humans go through. It is the ripping away of matter, of life, of the essence of a person from our reach, from our ability to hold them, touch them, see them. It is, it is a reality and yet it is so difficult to understand. We can't process, we don't fully understand how in one moment somebody is with us and then in the next moment we can't ever see or talk to them again in this life, they're gone. It is the most challenging aspect of our physical lives and our reality. And yet it is one that you and I have to intentionally and consciously work through. I have seen it again and again as I have interacted with a lot of people and ministered to a lot of people. With counselors, therapists, psychologists would refer to as chronic grief. Grief that we do not, we do not attend to. We just allow to be in the back of our minds or um, just maybe just out of reach of our consciousness there, but not fully dealt with. And we hold on to the person or the grief Sometimes we hold on to that grief because we're afraid to, that if we let the grief go, we let the person go. And I have experienced it, that same struggle. That if I no longer am sad for them, then I am letting them go out of my memory. Or it's as if I'm letting them go all over again. And that is its own process of working through it. But grief has to be processed. It has to be tended to. 
and it is not easy. C.S. Lewis also says in the same book, The Grief Observed, he says that it is hard to have patience with people who say there is no death or death doesn't matter. He says there is death and whatever is matters and whatever happens has consequences and it and they are irrevocable and irreversible. I love what he says elsewhere in the same book. He says in the midst, in the midst of his own grief and processing, he says, I need Christ, not something that resembles him. In the midst of our pain and sadness and loss, we need others, we need time, I asked, have asked several counselors over the years, especially in the throes of grief, you know, how long is this going to last? And I think they have all said almost to the exact word. Or, or I said something like, how long will this take? And they said, it takes as long as it takes. Grief takes time. It takes the support of others. And those of us who are followers of Christ, it takes the miraculous power of walking with Jesus, the truly wounded healer, as Henry Nouwen refers to him. Jesus suffered all for us and understands our suffering. He grieved when Lazarus died, knowing that he would raise him from the dead. In the next few seconds, he still cried. John eleven thirty five, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He wept when he saw the people there crying. He seems to be weeping over the loss. And yet he raises Lazarus back to life. But he was still moved to tears. He understands and he is journeying with us in our times of grief and loss. There's a great resource that, that, uh, that I have recommended to others. I've sent this book, you know, across the, not quite the world, but across the nation whenever, uh, often when I've heard of people who have lost a loved one, I send them this book. Um, it's called Grieving the Loss of Someone You Love. It's a devotional grieving the loss of someone you love and it is a it's powerful in its ability to just every day help process through the grief and i have read that book probably many times many times through slowly day by day processing through it it is attempting to understand what is hard to fathom, impossible to understand, but finding our hope in the eternal reality of Christ and that our life does not cease to exist though, though our bodies may stop in this life, our life continues in the lives of our loved ones. 
And that is what we can cling to. I pray that you, as you may be struggling or or going through your own time of grief and loss, that you would find that peace that passes all understanding, as Paul says in Philippians 4. That you would know the comfort and the peace that comes from knowing Jesus and knowing that he is there journeying with you in your grief and in your loss. And that you might find the support of others strength to walk through this time intentionally, knowingly, consciously processing through this incredible pain in your soul that only time, Christ, and eternity will be able to heal and resolve. Well, thanks for listening this week, episode 30 on grief and the impact it has on our lives and how we can move through it. And I pray that, again, that you might find peace and comfort in that. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.